morning, everybody. How are all of you guys doing? I hope very well. Um, we are just so ecstatic and excited to see you all here. I know you guys could be in a million other panels, but you chose to be here. And I could not be any more thrilled than I am right now. And uh, I just wanted to say I hope you guys are having a good time. At the, are you having a good time at the festival? Yeah. Wait, it's a, it's a conference, not a festival, right, guys? I don't know. It's like a mix of everything, isn't it? So I am your moderator for today. My name is Aurora Mendez, and I'm just thrilled and honored to have so many wonderful uh, creative minds on this stage. And before I continue, I just wanted to say that um, today's discussion is entitled Classical Music Embracing the Modern Audience. And uh, this has been organized by the wonderful uh, Taya Paraskevides of Artist Anne. Because of Artist Anne, we are here. So thank you, Artist Anne. And uh, yes, round of applause for Artist Anne. And you'll see why, because guess what, you guys, tonight, starting at 8 p.m., we are going to host our showcase with the incomparable musicians that you might see on the flyer. And um, I'm sorry I can't pull an Oprah and promise you guys keys for cars under your seat, but you're going to find a flyer um, that will give you guys uh, information for tonight. Yeah, you get a car, you don't get, you get a performance. Um, you will see a, perform a flyer on your seat with information for our showcase tonight at 8 o'clock. It will be going all the way through 2 a.m. or so. We have incredible performers such as this lovely human being next to me, Miss Ayana Witter-Johnson, is going to be uh, performing along with pianist Kyle Walker, who's in the house as well, uh, uh, Aisha Denise Gokche. Uh, we have Fuse Ensemble from Amsterdam and Caitlin Race and a bunch of people. You could read it on the flyer. So with that in mind, oh, and Alexandra Whittingham, who I think is also here, incredible guitarist, uh, we would like to continue now. Um, today, I'm joined by these incredible uh, panel to, this incredible panel to talk about the current state and future of classical music uh, and its, its extension into alternative classical and how we can embrace today's audience with the help of digital and social media. As we approach the end of the session, uh, we will open up the floor to questions from the audience, and we would absolutely love to hear from you so I will be sure to cue that for you guys. And without further ado, it is my honor to introduce our first panelist, uh, singer, cellist, and composer Ayana Witter-Johnson. Uh, we also have uh, TikTok UK artist community manager Shima Siddiqui, and we also have uh, Colburn School of Music's Dean for Community Initiatives, Dr. Nate Zeisler. Can we all give them a round of applause and welcome them today? So when we were preparing this panel, uh, the first thing that came to mind was, what's the current state of classical music? And I was hoping to pose that question to you guys, and just to give context for the audience, and so we can all uh, get a sense of, or, or pulse, rather. So I, I was wondering, Nate, we, maybe we could start with you. Um, what is, being that you are uh, such a representative of the, uh, the classical music institution, what, is your, what are your thoughts on the current state of classical music, and why are conversations like these so important? Thanks so much, Aurora. And you know, I should send a thank you back to you for setting this up and for getting this conversation going. I think it's so important to to uh, move the conversation into a place like South by Southwest. And I'm so excited to have all of you here to share the conversation today. Uh, so it's it's interesting to me, classical music, uh, the 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 level of musicianship, the level of artistry has never been higher. Uh, you've got musicians that have been continued to train for their entire lives and uh, become 
experts and incredibly adept uh, at at their at their art and their craft. Um, and we find ourselves in a space that I think has continues to uh, be largely unchanged. And if you look at the very traditional sense of classical music, where you know that that artist goes in, into a traditional field and performs on a concert stage in a big hall. Um, and what's interesting about right now in this moment, uh, I think, is that the pandemic has changed a lot of the ways that classical musicians are thinking about or need to be thinking about how they enter the space and the mm -hmm. world. Um, if you just look statistically, um, ticket sales are off by 30% in classical music, and I think probably in other areas as well. Um, if you look at uh, the concert goers, not just in classical music, but in general, I think the majority of people surveyed would rather spend their night on the couch on a Saturday evening than go hear live music. And I think that's something that classical musicians and all musicians and artists need to be thinking about as they put their art out into the world. And you know, the last thing I'll just say is that I think we traditionally think about concert, we worry about the graying of the audience of classical music. And we'll, there's a lot to talk about and unpack there, but historically that, uh, that has never that hasn't changed. I mean, three percent of the concert goers uh, in in the United States uh, have gone to classical music performances. They typically are older because they have more time. Their kids are out of the house. They have more money to spend, and so that's largely gone unchanged since they've been tracking that information for over a hundred years. Uh, but what's changed are are the habits that I've just spoken about. Also. Um, Gen X, I think, is something that uh, we need to be thinking about. Baby boomers are are definitely still concert goers. Uh, I'm at the tail end of Gen X. Gen Xers are not going to concerts. They're not going to classical music concerts. And there's not really been attention paid to how do you court the Gen Xers and what do they want to be doing. I think that's kind of at the heart of the conversation today because I think we're um, interested in a lot different of an a different experience than the traditional classical music concert goer. I'll stop there. There's a lot more to talk about. But. Absolutely. And I want to op open the floor to uh, Shima and Ayana to give your input on, on what what is the current state and, and what are you guys noticing in your from your perspectives of whoever would like to go? Sure. So I think, I don't know if this is on. Yeah. It is on. Yeah, yeah. Can you? Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's on. Okay. Um, so I think the state of classical music is at a really exciting point um, from what I've seen on TikTok. Um, and so you have artists, established classical artists such as Audi and Hans Zimmer joining the platform, showing off their artistry, um, and also collaborating with younger artists as well. Um, and then I'm working with a lot of you know, up-and-coming musicians in classical who are, again, changing the perception of what classical music is. Um, they're experimenting with the genre, collaborating with other genres, um, and just, I think, making it accessible for a wider audience. Um, and I think, you know, for TikTok users, they're not... Um, they don't really care if it's an old song or a new song. They just want to discover music. Um, and I think you can see that with other genres. You know, you have Fleetwood Mac and Kate Bush trending, and then you've got newer artists um, such as you know Venby and Lil Nas X doing well on the platform. Um, and you know, I think 
you know, people use classical music um, with all different types of content. So educational content, um, family content, travel content, and that just spreads it far and wide for people to discover. Uh, there's a classical artist uh, named Dorian Marco, and his cornfield chase has been used 2.2 million times. Wow. And you look at all the content, and it's really varying, but people could discover him through all of that. That's incredible. Yeah. Talk about discoverability and reaching the masses. You know, I think uh, just a show of hands, how many of you guys use TikTok? Okay, fair amount. And I'm, I'm sure like depending on, uh, you know, the, the different uh, audiences, uh, depending on the generations, I'm sure that number would be slightly different perhaps. But uh, Ayana, you know, talking about accessibility and, and breaking barriers in, in uh, the concert hall, how are you approaching this with your music and your beautiful art? What are your, some thoughts that you might have about making music more accessible? Thank you. Um, thank you to you both. So from my experience, um, what I'm finding is there is quite a dynamic landscape of ensembles and performers who are commissioning living composers and not waiting for um, the opportunity to grace a big, big stage like a Barbican stage or, you know, um, stages that typically tend to program um, composers of the past and want to fill the seats and understandably, um, you know, program particular music that fulfills that. However, um, there are ensembles in Germany. I've just come back from Hamburg and collaborated with an amazing group of young women from the African diaspora called the String Orchestra, who are collaborating with organizations that are grassroots and specifically put on programs to reach um, their local communities, the Tonali Ensemble in Hamburg. And we just created a concert. We, we're creating a tour. I'm interested in collaborating with grassroots um, contemporary classical organizations that respect the history of the genre that will happily play Schubert, but, or, you know, happily play my music at the same time and allowing the both things to exist and to celebrate um, the old and the new. Exactly. And, and for our audience here, we, uh, Ayana is a prolific composer as well and she has an incredible body of work and speaking of of incredible body of work you know what role does that programming play like that boulder programming is it necessary to keep rotating the same composers no i would assume right no it's very important representation is extremely important post that concert that we had last week we had a really in-depth conversation and that's not something that is able to happen post every live experience. But the intimacy of it allowed that to happen. And a woman from the audience said, you know, I wouldn't ordinarily come to a concert like this. But seeing you here, I thought, I'm going to see if it's something that I might enjoy. And she felt very moved and she felt as if um, there's a space within this space to hear and see her history reflected. So it's important that People don't feel divorced from um, the music itself. Why should it be? It should be a reflection of us as a global community. We are really um, moving closer together. TikTok demonstrates that, you know, all the work um, that we put into, like Nate was saying, the craft, the musicianship. Um, it's really important to celebrate that, to celebrate each other. And I think that um, classical music has the breadth to embrace that and to accommodate what I feel is really um, 
the legacy of the British Empire. I know we're jumping in deep now. <laughs> we're, we're really going into it. Let's go into it. Let's go into it. Let's go into it. The truth is Western classical music, Western classical history now includes the Commonwealth and all of that legacy. And composers like me are essentially an extension of that of that history. Incredible, incredible, and you know it just really ties into to, to the next question. Like Shima, for example, if uh, let's say Ayana um, would like to, uh, Ayana, are you on TikTok? I'm on it. <gasps> You're on TikTok. I'm yet to like fully dive into it. Oh, <laughs> wait, hold on. So wait, I might need Shima's help. <laughs> what Ayana's trying to say is that she's a scroller, aren't you? Okay, just like me. All right, I know it takes a lot of effort, right, you guys? I mean, uh, but for example, you know, this is this is kind of the thing we're talking about, right? Which is make the accessibility factor, the discoverability of classical music. The Because the talent is there. I'm sure all of us would agree the talent is there, but the issue that disconnect that is definitely... Um, preventing so many incredible artists and composers and and, and uh, musicians from from getting the uh, acknowledgement they deserve or the the you know the attention they deserve um so shima for example like i think tiktok is prop well my humble opinion tiktok is the leading platform and i think no that's actually factual you guys have the best discoverability at the moment can you talk to us a little bit about that and what tools could a musician like ayana utilize um to to get her music out there yeah, so we're very proud of the fact that TikTok is a place for music discoverability. Um, again, it's, you know, people create incredible content and they choose lots of different music, including classical music, to soundtrack mm. what's important to them, their lives with that. Um, so it's an amazing opportunity to discover new music. Um, in terms of pushing classical music, um, I've done a lot of work with the team and shout out to Lisa, who's in the audience, Woo. who leads a lot of this. Um, but we've done a lot of work around classical music, so we've championed the hashtag mm. on platform. Um, Lisa put together an incredible Hans Zimmer playlist um, and got Hans Zimmer to do some incredible content, which included um, duetting. And so for those who don't know, duetting is when you do a split screen on TikTok and you can uh, perform alongside another artist or you can react to their content. And so he duetted a lot of um, young performers on the platform. Wow. Um, again, played with genre. So someone did like a rock version of one of his compositions and he played the guitar alongside them and so you know someone could discover that and be like whoa like I know this song um, I think it's been amazing to see comments and people being like oh my god you just soundtracked like the movie that I grew up mm -hmm. watching so you've kind of impact like your music has impacted my life and they just didn't make the connection mm -hmm. um, but through TikTok they're able to um, so that's been amazing. Um, and, you know, we just try and champion um, a div diverse array of artists. And I think one thing that's really important um, to my team is championing women in the field mm. um, and people of color who previously, for reasons that I'm sure we can get into, haven't been able to um, get the recognition that they deserve. Um, and so it's been incredible to work with them. Uh, I work with a classical violinist named Esther Abrami, who uh, is amazing on TikTok. And what she'll do is she'll take any type of like meme or trending sound, mm -hmm. and she always brings it back to the fact that she is a classical violinist. Mm -hmm. um, so it brings some humor, um, and people can discover her that way, and then you know find out that she's an amazing musician. Uh, and then she recently released an EP with the. Um, 
Her ensemble. Her ensemble, yeah. who are incredible. Um, and they released an EP of all um, music that was composed by women. Mm -hmm. um, and so just hearing them talk about that and perform that and create content around that, like I think so many people have no idea that there's prolific female composers. Right. And it's just been, yeah, amazing to see mm -hmm. that. Um, and then I work with a organist named Anna Lapwood who uh, is really uh, great about educating people about what it's like to be an organist and, and play Royal Albert Hall, for example. And she did a great um, TikTok where she spoke about how she um, communicates with the conductor. And there's a mirror above where she like has conversations. And yeah, it was just like super interesting because I wouldn't have thought of that. Incredible, incredible. I that and also Anna Lapwood was also featured with Bonobo. Yes, yeah, correct. Yeah. So another great thing that artists are doing on um, TikTok is really kind of um, combining genres. And so um, Anna Lapwood went on stage with Bonobo and took this piece of content that got like two million views overnight, and again introduced a whole other audience to her music. Um, and so that's been incredible. Esther Brahmi has gone on tour with an electronic DJ. Mm -hmm. um, so again, these are really, really interesting ways of introducing classical music to new audiences. Fantastic. And Nate, go ahead. I was just going to say, hold on. Um, if you, uh, what, what role do you think Colburn plays and institutions like Colburn play in inspiring this type of venturing out into, into the non-classical world, if you will? Yeah, so it's really it's fascinating to hear both of you talk about this. Um, to me, you know, I, I think for, for classical musicians and, and many musicians uh, just beyond the genre, there's a reticence to get onto the platforms because they somehow equate that to being a sellout or not being their true authentic version of classical music or whatever they're they're putting out into the world. But for me, uh, actually, there there's a fat, you know I had a I had a, a gentleman who came in and talked to a bunch of students uh, about he's a marketing guy and he came in and talked to them about using social media to uh, as a microphone to extend their reach into the community. And at the end, he gave a beautiful presentation for about an hour. And at the end, uh, uh, one of the other string quartet there in, in the room and one of the members raised her hand and she said, um, you know, you, you've just spent an hour talking about how to, how to get ourselves out in the world, but you didn't talk about it in terms of classical music. You talked about it in the other, the other spaces, whatever that means. And he, and, and he said, well, what would you do if you were going on TikTok right now? What would you do with the quartet? And she said, well, I'd, I'd probably, we'd probably do make some covers of Radiohead and, and put it out on, onto TikTok. And, and he said, okay, well, how, how would that look? And she said, well, we'd probably post two or three things a week and, and get some, get ourselves out there. And he said, well, is that something that you'd enjoy doing? And she said, absolutely not. That's not fun for me. That we, we wouldn't want to. And he said, well, what would you like to do? She said, I want to play Brahms. I want to play, I want to put Brahms out into the world. And he said, play Brahms, do Brahms, put that out in the world. You have to center yourself and your, your art first before you go out and put things out in the world. Otherwise, everybody on the platform is going to see right through it. And you, you're not going to get that, that reach. Find that community. This is a massive community online, the online space. There are, I have to believe, and I personally believe, there are enough people on TikTok 
that would love Brahms, that would love to hear a string quartet played Brahms incredibly well through their own lens, through their own story. And I think that from, from the perspective of how we are training the next generation of artists, I think that um, that authenticity, finding your own path, and I, I think that artists, are t they, they come into a school like Colburn or conservatory thinking that they're going to be a soloist on the front of a stage, they're going to be a chamber musician in a quartet, or they're going to play in an orchestra, just because that's the only lens that they have for being successful in the world. Rather than saying, this is a starting point, there are any number of things you can do, the, the platforms that are out there now are reducing the friction that you would normally see 10, 15 years ago to getting into the world, figure it out. Create your own space, create your own world, and do the things that are meaningful and authentic to you, and that's going to help you propel your career forward. Incredible. And, you know, I, you know, with that in mind, I'd love to circle back to Shima because, you know, that concern of, hey, you know, for, and for context, I'm a classical violinist myself. So I think um, I can also speak a lot to this myself about, you know, presenting oneself authentically. And I know we, we do have some musicians in the room. So this this uh, struggle between staying true to yourself um, while also trying to get the message out there, I think, uh, is, is something that TikTok can help with. Yeah, and I for think, sure. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think what you said is perfect. Um, we, you know, tell artists all day, every day to be authentic. Um, so don't do what you think you should do. Do what represents you as an artist and you will find your community on the platform. I mean, the classical music hashtag has 2.9 billion views. So, Wait, Wishima, can you restate that again for the record? For the record. Uh, for the record, the classical music hashtag has over 2.9 billion views. With a B. With a B. Okay, just clarify. So there will be people on the platform that would want to see that musician play Brahms. Or maybe that'll be their discovery and introduction to Brahms. That's right. Either way, it's going to be amazing. And so, you know, we say artists should be authentic, whatever that means to you, right? If it is playing Radiohead covers, great. If it's playing Brahms, that works too. And I think it's about creating authentic content. Um, TikTok is all about, you know, inspiring creativity and sparking joy. So it should never feel like something you have to do. It should be something you want to do to show off your musicality. Um, and there's no, there's no actual rules. You can make it what you want. Um, and just to give you an example of how random it can be, there is an indie band that's actually playing South by Southwest, and they built their audience by soundtracking, um, like, cooking videos. So they were, like, cooking ASMR videos, and they've just created their own soundtrack to it by duetting them, and they built their audience that way. And I wouldn't have come up with that. That was all them. That's brilliant. I had no idea. Yeah. Wow. What's the name of that group? Uh, the group's called Dutch Criminal Record. Dutch Criminal Record. Yeah. Shout out to the check Dutchies. Where are the Dutchies? Are, the, yeah. are you guys here? Oh, I think I see a couple. Ooh. <laughs> cheers, so cheers. check them out. <laughs> Incredible. And, you know, uh, Ayana, I, I was, I, I've been thinking about you. And I was like, you know, you have been someone who has presented yourself in what I find to be such an authentic and incredible way. And I was wondering, how has it been navigating this this space of, uh, you know, uh, being this class, prolific classical musician, composer, singer, songwriter, who has been traveling the world, by the way, with the likes of Andrea Bocelli and, and, and soon, who are you going to be touring with now? I forget. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Peter Gabriel. She's going to be touring with Peter Gabriel. Woo! Round of applause. We're we're up here with musical royalty, my friends. Um, 
so I, I was wondering, you know, from your point of view, what like listening to all of this, what are some thoughts that you're having or what what has it been like to uh, to, to embark on this journey as someone who has these classical roots and who is touring the world and doing the thing? And what are some thoughts that you might have about what's being said? Yeah, I really resonated with what you just said, Nate, because um, the truth is I when I went to my first music conservatoire, Trinity Laban in London, I didn't see um, I didn't see an image of who I might be now. Like I went in there, quite frankly, long story short, I didn't want to be an opera singer. I didn't want to be a cello classical soloist. I didn't plan on being a jazz musician. I was like, what else can you do in this place? And if you don't want to be any of these three things, I'm like, okay, uh, I definitely am interested in music. I think composition will give me the greatest space to discover who I might be. So I, I, to Americanize it, majored in composition. <laughs> I then did go to the Manhattan School of Music, so I can legitimately say I majored in composition, <laughs> um, which is the place that I found my own voice musically, artistically. Um, I then solidified that sense of becoming a performer by um, taking part in Amateur Night Live at the Apollo Theatre in Harlem and being like the first non-American to win that competition. And that made me think, okay, I might perform. So hence the two things always sat side by side, but it's still an ongoing hustle. Like I'm really a hustler out here. I'm just constantly interested in interesting musical collaborations and playing with different people and enjoying, like you say, enjoying myself. I think I'm going to confess now because this feels like a confessional. Um, I haven't found myself on TikTok yet because I think I'm, I don't want to do what I think I should do. And um, and my schedule is just wild right now. So I'm 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 in I'm looking forward to I'll say that just um, finding a space that really feels like me because there's lots of things I could do and I don't want to do what I should do. I want to really embrace it from the authentic place. So so that feels good. And also it's nice to have things to look forward to, you know, <laughs> in, in life. Um, but I'm not going to lie. I think. The kind of music I make is very personal. It's a lot about the history of of my own life, but also I'm interested in the history of my ancestors. I bring a lot of that to my work. It's not for everybody. It can be challenging. Um, it can be educational. It can be emotional. Um, usually it's an emotional experience when I'm on stage or I'm composed something that I've been asked to write so it's a deeply personal um, kind of life and journey and I think I think it's like when you're carving your own path it's you know there's the highs and the lows I try and really enjoy the highs I try and remember that the lows won't last that long um, it's a roller coaster artist life is is wild but for moments like these, for moments of honest connection, honest conversation, um, amazing music here that I get to enjoy and get to share, like, you know, it's, it's a really wonderful and privileged, privileged experience to be an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and it, it also connects over. I want to go back to Nate. Um, Nate, what what do you see the institutions embracing 
these models and because like a, another another thing we have to think about are the limitations within the concert hall right yeah. um and i know you know we are at south by southwest and i'm sure i hope a lot of you uh went uh to check out the uh, exhibition center, I believe there's so many activations with like AR and VR. There are a lot of uh, metaverse uh, projects coming out. There are a lot of things that are being uh, utilized in other industries and and things of that nature. And then I I have to to ask you, Nate, like what do you think that um, it is possible for the the institutions of classical music to incorporate some of these advancements in technology, um, or do you think that there is still some friction that needs to get resolved or, or taken care of? What, what are your thoughts? I have so many thoughts. Uh, we love the thoughts. But I, I, yes, the answer is yes. And and do I think that institutions should be embracing these things? Absolutely. Uh, I think the reality is that that change is really difficult at the academy, in the academy. And I say that with like the big A academy. Um, change is hard, there's a set curriculum. The other thing that is unique, I think, to classical music as opposed to other genres is that uh, when you go and you major in classical music, the expectation is a really in-depth study that toiling in the practice room for hours and hours at a time is a core component of the degree. So it leaves uh, less space for that exploration than in other degree paths or for other artists. Uh, and what ends up happening is the the artists who get it or quote get it or who are interested in, you know, being uh, looking into these other technological spaces are finding an incredible pathway and doors opening very quickly for them because not a lot of artists, classical musicians, are currently stepping through and into that space. Um, what I talk about a lot at, um, what I think about a lot is this rule of 10%. Um, it's my own rule, but if I, as I work with artists and I have this idea, so let's say it's, it's VR. And I, I have the, I'm in LA, I have, you know, the authority in VR, in the VR space who's doing some work in, in music or classical music, come in and speak to the students, 10% of the student body is going to show up. And so that's, that's fine. We can, I mean, I think that the challenge that, that I find is that there are these, we make these blanket assumptions that, and this is a generalization, but there's a blanket assumption that VR, like, we're going to bring the authority of VR in and then everybody will fall in love with it and it will be the game the thing that changes their life and career I, if i look if you look at it in this rule of 10% and think that there is something out there that's going to change their life and career composition for you right um, then it that's the entry point to having a deeper discussion about career path where an artist might go after graduation where they might go and and the other thing i'll just say is the most profound conversations i have are with artists who have graduated five or six years ago. So they're out in the world, they're doing things, they're, they're looking up for the first time maybe, and they're seeing, hey, oh my gosh, there's you know, billions of people listening on TikTok. How do I get in? How do I start with that? And so my hope is that the academy will plant seeds. It's really about planting seeds, knowing that there's only so many hours in the day. We're all stretched. It's hard to get a practice of TikTok up in, in, to start with. And so you know, if you're planting seeds that this is a path that you could go down, and be open and curious. Uh, I think that's how we're going to change the the field slowly uh, over time. And Shima, you are the uh, community manager, uh, AR uh, community manager management, and you know I'm, I'm sure 
you have thoughts listening to all of this. Um, and again, we're, we did mention the tools that are out there, but like with this in mind, what are some ways we can help uh, the classical music world feel less friction? Do you think that there's going to be a way or maybe is it through classical music influencers or people like your Esther Rami, for example, and your uh, Anna Lapwood? Do you see them as perhaps uh, educational uh bridges, if you will, between the worlds? And is that a viable solution to our issue of, of you know, failing or not, maybe not reaching as, as broad of an audience as we could be? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Um, I think they're artists first and foremost, and I think that they've chosen TikTok as a platform to get their music out there and what they do. Um, and I think that audiences now are just more open to genres. And I think that as, as we spoke about, um, you know, genres are fluid and people are experimenting with them all the time. I don't think most things can, you know, you can fuse um, classical with jazz or with electronic. Um, and so I think that they're demonstrating the possibilities within classical. So I think they're showing that it's not rigid. I think what you've said about representation being really important. Um, I've seen a lot of artists on the platform, um, people of color that are participating in, in performing classical music, which I think that, you know, even me growing up, I didn't see that. So I think that platforms like TikTok are opening up those possibilities and they're um, showing people that they can see themselves on stage with these performers. Um, and I think that is a great, that removes a barrier to entry, right? Because if it feels like it's relatable, you're more likely to take part and listen. So I think that's what platforms like TikTok are good at doing. And then, you know, you spoke about tools. We have other tools to not make it overwhelming for artists. So we have a artist handbook that we actually launched last summer, and that goes into best practice because there's a lot of misconception um, out there about what you're supposed to do on TikTok. And, you know, I've heard crazy things from artists like, oh, you need to post 20 times a day. When would you actually perform? Like, you're an artist first and foremost. Um, yeah. And so our artist handbook kind of goes through all those misconceptions and actually what we recommend. Um, but, you know, the other great thing about the platform is you can make it what you want. Everyone has something different that works for them. Um, some people, you know, kind of create content as they're going on. Other people bank content and they'll post it. It just depends on what works for you. And every artist is going to be different. Oh, very cool. And this artist handbook, is was it, how is it, can we get gain access to it? Yeah, so it's online. So I can, um, I can share a link after. Oh, fantastic. Oh, incredible, incredible. And Ayana, um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the concerts, uh, your, your type of concerts where you're, uh, I saw a beautiful video at the Concertgebouw, and what was it like to, to you know, be working with uh, an incredible, incredibly famous institution in, in Amsterdam, I believe it's in Amsterdam, right? What was it like to to introduce that type of um, performance to to their, that audience? Because, like, I think, um, you know, because we have a lot of uh, people in from other industries, and they think, oh, perhaps they think, Classical music is just this one thing, but then come, you come along and they're like, "Hey, wait a second! There is this. There are these possibilities." What was it like to present um, your your art in in to, to that audience? And what are some possibility or opportunities you'd like to to see happen more in classical music? Being that you are someone who's spearheading it. Um, thank you, and I'm smiling because I 
I just went in there with my full self, not necessarily (laughs) envisaging anything like what happened, which was uh, they booked me for a show. And before the show, they said, can you come into one of our other halls? It's empty. We'll do a video and then we'll upload it to promote the show. I was like, sure. You know, I was already dressed up and I was like, cool, we'll just do do my thing. And then the video went viral, um, literally like millions of views. I woke up. I woke up and I was like, oh, my Facebook following has jumped quite a bit. Maybe there's a glitch in the system. I literally thought it was a glitch in the system. I was like, gosh, this thing. And then the next day it like doubled itself. I was like, what is going on? Because I I didn't actually know that that it had done or was doing its thing um, because I hadn't uploaded it. And then I was like, oh, something's happening. And Facebook stresses me out at the best of times. So I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so I was like, oh, wow. And then I got a message from like Anita Baker and Bootsy Collins. I was like, I got Wait, what? The Anita, the Anita Baker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when I cried because I, like, I was like, my mom's going to be so proud of me. <laughs> Can you tell us what she said? She was just like, wow. She was like, you're amazing. Something Something like this. Yeah, I, I've screenshot it. And it's that was the most beautiful wow I've ever heard. <laughs> Did we hear the Melissa going? Oh, so I was, cute. yeah. So um, I will say, and this is something that I have noticed. There are some really um, amazing established classical organizations that have supported me and our champions. Concert Gabao, one of them. I'm back there on the 4th of August this year, collaborating with the Ragazzi Quartet and Again, they're like, do your thing, you know, we'll support you. I will shout out the South Bank Centre in London, who have been like just instrumental in allowing me again to to do my thing. And I will shout out the London Symphony Orchestra, who are the other organisation that have just like given me so much support from my first orchestral piece, workshopping that with the orchestra to various commissions for the brass ensemble to my collaboration with the LSO percussion ensemble. We have an album coming out in October that we recorded last year, which is like fully myself, fully me. And I think without organizations that are willing to stretch the boundaries where they can, like we all understand that it's a big organization you know but there are people there that are working hard to widen things and create opportunities and those are some of the places that are really doing like great work oh fantastic I I can picture that moment uh when you were there with Anita on the phone (laughs) but yes and you know shout out to those Shout out to, to all those organizations. And I think that's a testament as well to uh, there being people out there that are, are hungry for this art form. And, you know, we're here at South by not just to talk about, um, you know, our what, what we do and whatnot. We also want to encourage those that are out there listening from other industries that, hey, there are there are so many incredible talents out there that are ready, willing and able to share their work. And um, we we're just I, I would I know I'm grateful for people like or platforms like TikTok that are helping with that and YouTube and all these other uh, platforms. And I just wanted to say that, um, you know, we're going to start to wrap it up very soon and we're, we're going to open the floor for questions that it is incredibly important to to get out of the bubble i think as as uh, classical musicians but at the same time um we can only do that when they're we're able to make conversation with others and have that dialogue and, and open those doors so um 
there's so much more I think we can get into, but I want to do, I'll open up the floor for questions. Um, if you would like to ask a question, I think we could take about two or three or so. Please line up. There's a microphone in the middle of uh, the aisle right there. We would love to have you guys uh, ask these incredible, brilliant minds uh, what you have on your mind. And then uh, we, after questions, we will wrap up with some final thoughts and some thank yous, and then we'll get everybody out of here. So let's see. We have one, two, and please, if you feel um, you would like to uh, also ask questions, maybe not right now, but after the panel, you're welcome to do so. I think we're all going to hang around a little bit. So I believe we have our first question. Um, please say your name and, and uh, ask away. Yes. Hi, my name is Madeline. I am a, I'm like, what's my title? I'm assistant <laughs> director of PR and external comms for Jazz Lincoln Center. And uh, Shima, I'd really like to talk about the TikTok of it all. Um, obviously, TikTok is like the platform right now, and I, this discoverability is incredible and can kind of, you can have that viral moment. Obviously, I think people are really going more towards TikTok because it's less selly selly, you know, like Instagram, Facebook's a lot like, come to my show, whatever, versus TikTok where you discover someone and then maybe, you know, doesn't mean you're following them on other platforms. Obviously, TikTok is evolving. Do you see at some point there being some kind of feature or TikTok turning into not just discoverability, but butts in seats kind of thing? That's a great question. Um, I think that the content on TikTok that works best um, is content that is engaging. So marketing assets and things like that don't necessarily work. But I have seen artists that have built a following on TikTok sell out shows. And so I think that um, you know, if you follow an artist on uh, TikTok, you are following their career. And I think TikTok's incredible for storytelling. And so if you feel like you're there from that moment, you will support them. Um, and you know, I see that with songs that trend on TikTok, you see uh, off-platform success. Um, so songs that, like, I think 10 out of the 12 songs that hit number one in the UK went viral on TikTok first. And so I think that um, me, like music fans are really engaged. So if they discover you and they like you on TikTok, they will go off platform and support you in other ways, which will mean that they'll buy tickets to see you live. Totally. And thank you. It's also so funny, too, because classical or jazz, I'm sure, it's, you know, the TikTok is like 60 seconds, and then they go to the full thing, and it's like it's 10 minutes long. Incredible. But thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, please state your name and your question. Hi, I'm Agustin. Thank you for your talk. I have a question and a follow-up. The question is, have you seen the trend of people dancing to classical music on live events, like getting together? And have you seen it on like big festivals? Uh, I personally haven't. I don't know if you. But there's, there's a lot of people in big festivals dancing on uh, classical music live events and getting together and getting along. So my question is, uh, are you noticing changes in the audience, specifically, specifically on live events? What are the difference of like common old classical music or classical classical music as opposed to like modern audience? Yeah, um, I feel like it's harder to predict what the audience might be. In general, my experience is I'm always curious as to um, who's in the audience when I'm attending something and who's there when I'm on stage. 
And it's a mixed bag. I feel like people are coming for such varied reasons. Um, there are a lot of people coming to inspire their own children. They want their children to have an experience. Um, or they they themselves want to find their own way back into music. A lot of people um, often say, oh, I wish I'd not given up. I wish I'd kept up with this thing. So there's a kind of nostalgic thread of people who go who attend concerts and enjoy it for those reasons. So in general, it seems to me that people are going to rediscover a part of themselves, feel inspired, inspire others, or feel the joy that you were talking about, feeling joy. Um, at least once the concert halls had opened up again post-pandemic, there was that feeling of, wow, it's such a privilege to be able to be in a room and to enjoy music together and I think that's one of the big bonuses of classical music at the heart of it are musicians um playing live and like personally I really only want to hear a symphony in person because that's where I'm like going to get the magnitude of the situation and experience it I don't like to listen to big works on on my headphones or <laughs> my laptop speakers or anything like that I really do want to be in the room and hear an orchestra live that's the joy of the experience so I think um yeah oh yeah yeah I I, I would agree with everything you just said uh, you know I think I'm a, I'm a bassoonist, so I'm as classical of a musician as you can get. Uh, and so for me, I still love going to a live performance and sitting, sitting in silence and listening to, like, give me the last movement of Ravel's Mother Goose. In, in, and, and, like, if you haven't heard that piece, go listen to it because it will change your life. Um, I, there's still a part of me that wants that experience. But I also can really appreciate dancing to amazing music that calls for dancing, right? To clap, be like, we're still get upset about clapping between movements. Like, we need to kind of get over that and move into a space where it's okay to do these things. You know? And you can clap Thank now. You. Awesome. Thank you for your question. We have one more. Hello, uh, my name is Stephen Atkinson, and I am a musician and composer. And I came into composition rather late, like starting in 2019 after almost 20 years of playing popular music and stuff. Um, but as I've, like, I, I went and started, did a master's degree and stuff, and then I wasn't really paying attention to the classical world that much. My undergrad was in jazz performance and stuff. Uh, but as I see the development as, as composers and other classical musicians, like, there's the whole, like, Oh, you've got to go do these festivals, you and and these competitions type thing, which uh, to me reminds me of like pay-to-play schemes of like Battle of the Band stuff, and it really kind of disgusts me a little bit, honestly. And like I see this like gigantic barrier to entry into that because like, oh, I'm going to go do this festival this summer. How much does it cost? Oh, two, three thousand dollars. Like, who can afford to go do that unless you're already you know, got money. So what are ways that you see of developing a career and like making it in the music industry of classical music in ways other than the festival circuits uh, and like the summer festivals and the competitions, like just making your own way, which I see you being able to do here and talking about, and I love that you're at South by Southwest, so. 
Oh, that's great. That really hit me. I almost cried a little bit when you said that. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, it's true. There is, there's definitely a lane that feels a, a somewhat elitist, um, this lane. Never spend two, three thousand pounds on, <laughs> I mean, no, never. But there are definitely lots of, if you want to enter the world of competitions, there are definitely some with a much lower um, entry than that. So, if, yeah, that would stress me out knowing that you were spending <laughs> that much. Um, the only thing I can think, and which is really how I started out, was writing for friends essentially um I didn't when I got back from New York I didn't really push my career as a classical composer because I didn't think that actually that was something I could do like even though I'd been studying that whole time I was like yeah I've got these skills but I, I can't really see how it's going to translate into me being John Adams or something yeah I don't, I don't know <laughs> um so I just wrote pieces for my friends I wrote pieces for their final um concerts their exams I wrote pieces when I had left and they were like oh do you have anything for whatever whatever and very organically allowed it to develop I then um set up an ensemble and put on like a few concerts uh, recorded them so very incrementally um built up my confidence and my experience and I would say record as much as possible record your music um because it's so easy for it and I've lost pieces I honestly I don't know where they are they're on some old hard drive somewhere I can't access it it's just dead <laughs> never recorded it you know so now and it's so much easier to record things record everything and start to build like you're saying build like your online profile and allow people everywhere in the world to hear you and um start from there like I think the momentum has its own thing and I think do what you can with what you have now and and above all like enjoy the process if, if I could just sure. add and say that that space that you're talking about the festival space the academy the the being presented that is a very small slice of an overall career that you might have, and it's a, it's a shrinking space. And so when I talk to artists about this very question, first of all, we, I mean, it's, a, it's another panel about the economics of, of doing the art, and the, the real, when you, I mean, there, there are multiple levels of representation here that I, I really would, you know, that you touched on that I think was beautifully said and important to this field, but also the, the uh, from a, you know, if you don't have the means to support yourself, there are artists out there that have, they, they come from money or they have money, and I'm not, that's not a bad thing, but they're able to support the, that, that summer festival uh, in ways that, you know, somebody like I could not do as a bassoonist, and yet I still did it and went into a lot of debt in my 20s to, to quote, make it. Um, but I would just say that that slice is shrinking, and it's filled with gatekeepers that are saying you've made it or haven't made it. And, and to to your point, uh, Ayana, this is this is a whole new landscape. We're in a whole new world. This is your world. You, you take it, go run with it, make the recordings, write the compositions, build your audience. You don't need the gatekeepers of a festival. If you want to study with somebody at a festival, you would save more money by contacting them individually and saying, "Can I come study with you for three weeks wherever you live and go to them and stay in an Airbnb?" I mean. Like there are ways to to get that 
experience without spending all that money and going to the festival. Um, just there's, there's a lot to talk about with that, but I'll stop there. Awesome. We have uh, time for one final. You're welcome. We have time for one final question, and then we will have to wrap it up within uh, the next couple of minutes. Uh, and then we will have some final thoughts and, and goodbyes. So final question, if we could just keep it brief, that would be awesome. And uh, please say, state your name and your question. Sure. Um, my name is Oni Buchanan, and um, I'm a concert pianist, and I also run a management company. Um, I built my own management company because, again, I was tired of waiting for the existing management companies to embrace interdisciplinary performance and the kind of things I was doing. Um, as my And I've chosen now all these artists who are very innovative and who are looking to like reach audiences in new ways and tell storytelling and all of this. I'm also based in Boston. Um, Anyway, the, the short story is that I ended up founding an augmented reality performance company because the pandemic, um, of course, destroyed all live events. And artists are ready. Artists want to do this. And to like Nate's point and Ayana's point of like, you know, providing, uh, when Nate, you said like providing the seeds, you know, but it's also about like providing the tools and a friction, frictionless tool. So we're building this end to end workflow so the artists can come and you know, record themselves on a green screen in their apartments and upload it to the cloud, push, you know, push play and and um, be published on a mobile phone. So it's like very accessible. Now, like, I guess that um, I'm just so curious about, um, so I, I, I'm so moved by, by everything you said about just trusting your intuition and trusting the process and not, I'm not trying to kind of manipulate an outcome. I mean, you're reaching all these people who um, see the, what you're doing and your authenticity as their voice too. And it's like tying into this duetting concept also. And I think that really it's less about tech and it's more about co-creation and empowerment. And I wanna hear your thoughts on what that modern audience wants in terms of not just passively sitting there and taking a performance in, but co-creating something and, and having themselves empowered to create. Mm, I'm going to enjoy listening to you. <laughs> that was great. Congratulations. Uh, sounds really, really interesting. I, my, my honest hunch is um, it's hard to dictate to people what, what we think they should want, like what Shima was talking about. Um, you can't, you can't force, and like what you said, an outcome. I think what we can do, and which is what you're doing, is create enough different spaces that people can plug into. You know, if you want to be super engaged, um, there should be a space that that caters to that for you. If you just want to sit there with your eyes closed and listen to Ravel or whoever, allow that to be a space. A friend of mine in London, she has these wonderful classical music and yoga sessions, lie down and meditate, Christina McMaster, pianist. And um, she's just doing her thing and I love it. Like, you know, I've been to a couple of my, I, that's what I need. I need some Debussy. I need to sit down under a piano and just, you know, be quiet. Um, so that's what's exciting now is that sense of we can create all these different ways to engage in classical music and not each space is for everyone you know some of the modern audience do just want to be quiet and listen and um, some people really want something dynamic maybe with VR who knows whatever it is um, let there be space for all of it. And if I may just jump in here as selfishly, because I, I, I'm a huge uh, 
advocate for musicians, uh, classical musicians uh, entering Web3 and the metaverse and AR. I think that all of these technologies are beyond exciting. Um, there are so many developers, programmers, people in the industry that are looking to connect with these musicians. So if you can build those bridges, build them. Because in that way, you can create the dialogue, get the people invested and interested and uh, build from there. So if we should talk at the end of this. But thank you so much for your question. Um, I wanted to, yes. A couple of things. Somebody asked about dancing to classical music. Yes. yes. <laughs> Are we dancing to classical music, Miss Gibson? group here whose name escapes me, who does this every Valentine's Day. They pick a piece of music, they dance. They, and they get a group of dancers. To, there's a quartet, and then there's the dancers, and they do their thing to classical music. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say is TikTok came together with a group, a grouping of videos of classical music group. I, I read this somewhere and I wasn't able to, to, you know, do it anymore. So did you, did you put together some sort of video stream of classical musicians and that sort of thing? Um, we've done a couple of live streams with artists. So Andrea Bocelli did one at the top of Mont Blanc last Christmas. Um, Lang Lang's also done an incredible live stream for us. So we do put those together um, from time to time. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, well, I just uh, wanted to say that we have unfortunately run out of time, but uh, I wanted to uh, yield the floor or the mic to you guys for some final thoughts and where people can find you, because I'm sure a lot of us want to continue this conversation. So if we could just get some brief final thoughts and uh, I'll just start saying thank you uh, for everyone here. But uh, please continue. Whoever would like whoever would like to take that mic, go for it. My, maybe uh, Nate. Yeah, thank you all for for being here. And uh, I you can find me here. I, I, I have a, a newsletter where I talk about all these things all the time. This is what I, you can tell I love talking about this stuff. So if, come, and, come and find me. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Shima. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on this panel with you guys. Um, you can find me at artistpartnerships at tiktok.com if you want to email me and we can put you in touch with the right people and give you the tools. Amazing, Ayana. And yeah, just to say a huge thank you. I've thoroughly enjoyed this panel. And you can find me at Ayana WJ on most of those socials. Fantastic. Thank you, our audience. Let's give a round of applause to our panelists. Thank you, artists. And thank you all for being here. And see you at the showcase at Esther's Follies at 8 p.m. tonight. Thank you so much.